And the church said? Amen. Amen. That's right. That's great, man. We really appreciate it. Give them another round of applause while they're leaving here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, uh, Janice does a great job with those kids, and we're just so proud. And the ones that want to help and, you know, really do that, that's just wonderful. And I love all the kids that were standing up here today. I mean, they're so cute and all dressed up real pretty and really neat. And, and, you know, you always have one or two that is just, like, real busy about doing something else. Um, that definitely would have been me when I was a kid, I guarantee you. I'd have probably been up there trying to dive into the baptistry or something. But uh, it is wonderful to see those kids do that. They're just a delight, and we like when they come and, and, and really bless us, bless us singing the songs about uh, Jesus and all the things that are going there. So it's just a wonderful thing. Hey, I have some great news to tell you. With your generosity, and listen, with your generosity of our, to our contingency fund, this contribution that we just took up, we now have over $41,000 in our contingency fund. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God is an awesome God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's the key on all of that. If you'd like to give more, we'll take it too. All right, let's go. God is good though. All right. You know the candid camera? Now, some of you young folks don't even know that as well. So anyway, it was a little show on TV for many, many years, candid camera. They do some silly things with people and whatever. And so this one scene or this one setting was this gentleman goes out on this, basically on the street, finds this little patch of grass, wherever, a little island there, and he gets down on all fours and he begins to look for something, but actually he's looking for nothing. And passerbyers went by and by and by, and finally people began to stop. And they were just looking down on the ground, and finally people one by one were getting down on their knees and all fours, and they were looking for the same thing, which was actually nothing. And then in the show, the person that started all this, he kind of backed out real quietly, like leaving all the people that were there still looking for nothing. And of course, if you see that, you kind of laugh in that process through that. But this is exactly how easy it is that the devil distracts people through many senseless things in our time. Looking for absolutely nothing. It's amazing, but it's true. And so today we're going to talk about distractions on our journey together because distractions happen nonetheless. They do. The definition for distraction, if you were to look it up, there's probably going to be my name right next to it. And in that process, it says this, it is an action caused by the lack of ability to pay attention. Every teacher has been through this. Every teacher knows this is a distraction in their classroom because the teachers are normally like, hey, don't be distracted by that. Get back on course and do that. And so I put this one up there for you. It's a little funny. You can laugh if you want to, but nonetheless. And then this one happens in sometimes when the preacher's preaching or somebody's doing a class. I'm just going to say this was David teaching his class. No, I'm just kidding. But nonetheless, it happens. But the truth is, the real truth is that we all are distracted at times. Isn't that true? Give me an amen. amen. I don't like to be distracted any more than you like to be distracted, but distractions come. 
I can't tell you. Maybe this one will help you a little bit. You ever, my wife does this a lot. I mean, I do this a lot. So you go in from one room to another room, and you get in the room, and you say to yourself, I came in here for something, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was because I was distracted somewhere along the way. Anybody but my wife. I mean me. We do that, don't we? So we're all guilty of these distractions in our life. Distractions take you away from your focus. God knew that, and God tells us throughout Scripture where our focus is to be. It's as though he's snapping his finger like perhaps a teacher does at school. Pay attention. Get this. Get focused again. All throughout Scripture, we see those. So don't let your distractions become your destination. So we got to remember that is because sometimes we can make our distractions our goal in which they are not our goal at all. We say what our goal is, but our distractions lead us down another direction. And before we know it, the distraction becomes our destination. And when that happens in the Christian life, you may not notice it when you first get off track. But others start to notice it, and before long, you can be way off track. So you have to be cautious about those things. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 25. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you, Scripture says. I like the translation that puts it this way. The, the, the sides, or in this process, it says, the little side roads that sway us from being focused at our ultimate goal. Because it's true in our lives. Now, in our faith walk, we often lose sight of what is real because of the distractions that come our way. Scripture says that all things are possible for those who believe. Give me an amen. amen. We talked about that, and we've been inserting that belief and that faith, and it has to be almost, if you will, it really does need to be in every message that we teach. Faith has to come about in what you're being taught, or it really doesn't amount to anything. Remember, when you pray, don't be distracted, but when you pray, you must believe, because if you don't believe what you pray for, you're like the wind, it's just tossed around. That person should expect nothing, Scripture says. Remember last week? So therefore, we have to understand that. Scripture says that all things are possible through those to those who believe, and we do believe, but oftentimes we can get sidetracked due to our distractions. It's the trick of the enemy. David's been teaching in that in his class over on Sunday mornings in the family center and doing a fine job. Didn't catch the class today, and I'm sure it was great. But nonetheless, a trick of the enemy, Satan, is to distract us from noticing the blessings of God. He tries to trick us and quit noticing, distract us from noticing the blessings of God. Why? Because the less you see God in the blessings, the less you see God in the blessings on your journey with God, the less you think of Him. And the less you think of Him, the less you see Him in your spirit. And the less you think of Him, you soon, He soon becomes nothing more than a photo in your mind. He becomes a photo in your mind. And there's a problem when God becomes only a photo in your mind. How is that? He's a photo of something, something that was, not something that is. When you begin to think that God is something that was and not what God is, you're on the wrong track. You're being distracted by the things of the world. 
I promise you that's the way it works. A photo is something, it is something of the past, no matter when it's taken. I take a snapshot, boom, it's taken, that's something of the past, it's not the present. There's a big difference. What do I mean by that? Well, my daughter take, will take photos of our grandchildren. Here's the three youngest ones of our grandchildren. They're in St. Louis area. Now, when she takes a photo of them, she either sends them to us or Facebook or whatever the case is, she might send them to us. Now, we enjoy them, we truly enjoy them as she sends them, but they are of the past, not of the present. What do I mean by that? I love the photos that she sends, but I love more so the presence of my grandchildren. Make sense? So when you begin to make God a photo, He is something of the past, not of the present. And God longs for us, He tells us in Scripture, he longs for us, or He longs to be in our presence. He longs for us to be in His presence on our journey together. Give me an amen. I love the photos, but I love His presence even more. There was a, there was a commercial. Where this stemmed from, I guess this message stemmed from this week, was I, I kept asking Donna, and she couldn't remember either, but I don't maybe a year or two ago, maybe longer than that now, there was a commercial on TV. And the commercial, I don't know if it was about a car or something else, because you can't really tell in commercials these days. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they used to just advertise the product. Now they're like, what's happening here? And so, but this one was, was pretty clear as far as what I remember of that. And it was this family in this SUV, and so perhaps it was about a car, but they were in this SUV together, and they were going through a national park. And oh, its beauties outside the window was just unbelievable, the beautiful things. But what the catcher was this, the kids were in the back seat and they were watching a video of the very thing that they were going through. All the while, right outside the windows was the real thing, but they were distracted by the video. Kids get distracted by videos, don't they? Any parents or grandparents out there? You know that, don't you? They'd rather look at this than look at you, let me tell you. And sometimes they would rather look at something that's not real, but something that was, not something that is. Christians can fall in that same category. And when we do, we be just become ordinary. And God longs for us to be extraordinary. Give me an amen. amen. So, when this thought came to me, I go to, a, uh, to the room, I have a little office space in there. Um, and I sat at the desk and I wrote these words. I said, your desire for more can be, excuse me, your desire for more can distract you from your present blessing. Your desire for more can distract you from your present blessing. If your focus is out there on gimme, 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 you will miss the blessing here. All parents want their children to grow up to be successful and all of those things. And sometimes what we do is we live through the lives of our children in the future instead of the present. And it happens in the church as well. So I jotted down something. If somebody wanted to write a book, this would be a really good book. A good guy, good minister could preach on this for 11 weeks in a row. Because I listed 11 of them real quick and I stopped there, but later on I listed about 20 more. Now here they are for you to look at. 
I said, don't let your distractions be your guide. Don't let your distractions become your life. Don't let your distractions cause you to lose what's most important to you. Don't let your distractions lead you. Don't let your distractions haunt you. Don't let your distractions define you. Don't let your distractions rub off on others. Don't let your distractions disappoint you. Don't let the distractions of your agenda distract you from God's agenda. Huge. And don't be distracted by other people's talents and or gifts. And don't be distracted by your circumstances. Sounds like uh, chapters in a book, doesn't it? And, and I really think it, it, it deserves probably some looking into. Again, if I was a writer, I'd probably, there's our 11 chapters. Write those 11 chapters, you probably have a book. That's the trick of the enemy right there. And there's not one on there that I probably haven't been involved in at some point in my life. It's hard not to be distracted. Anybody ever get distracted? Let's just be honest. Anybody ever get distracted? Somebody's in here. says, if you don't have your hand up, you are distracted right now. So put up two, right? <laughs> Somebody's doing this. What's that? All right, very good. Not very good. Because distractions happen to us, there is no doubt. All throughout Scripture, we read about distractions. So that's the second thing I did. Okay, well, I got the gist of what I want to talk about. Now, who am I going to talk about? So I said, okay, well, it's, it's all throughout Scripture, there's distractions. And all the way from Genesis to Revelations, you're going to find distractions. Every single character in the Bible that you read about, there's a distraction somewhere along the way. Every single one. So we're going to look from Genesis to Revelations. Someone say, you're going to talk all the way from Genesis to Revelations? Yes, I am. Buckle up. It's going to be a long day. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to kind of do the shotgun approach, okay? So bear with me. Maybe next time we'll just do some more. Here we are. We start in the very beginning, and of course, we look at Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, the deal here was they were distracted by a lie. Listen to me closely. When you are distracted by a lie, a lot of things can happen in your life. If you're distracted by a lie that you tell, or a lie that someone else tells you that you believe to be the truth, you can be distracted exactly in the area in which you need to be going in your life. So therefore, we must be very careful on our journey together to make sure, above all things, that it is the truth that is being taught, listened to, and applied to our lives. Give me an amen. They were distracted by a lie. Anybody ever get distracted by a lie? I have. Anybody ever lie before? The rest of you, <laughs> you're really, I'm telling you, man. Polish these front seats up, man. We're going to need them today. All right. So Adam and Eve, of course, they have some children. They have children, but uh, we know of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel offer the sacrifice, or they give this uh, offering to God, and Cain's is not proper to God. Now, Cain had an opportunity an opportunity to ask for forgiveness from God. I believe that with all of my heart. But Cain was distracted by anger. Because his wasn't good enough, he becomes angry, and in his anger, it rages so much. Road rage. You ever see it? I saw on this week on a, on a clip that somewhere, I think it was out in California, sounds about right, 
out there in California, somebody was stopped in the middle of the expressway and two people were out of their cars and they were just duking it out over road rage. Anybody ever cut you off or flip you off and you felt like, oh, I'm going to get that guy? Somebody's doing this to their husband right now. I know that. Distractions of anger can get you in all kinds of problems. The distraction of anger can ruin your marriage. It can split a church. It can divide what God wants to unite. We have to be very cautious of what it is that we do with our anger. We had a great class last week over at Jeff's house and our small group study, and he talked about that anger. And it was just wonderful. And so that was one that we didn't even mention, but when you were talking about it last Sunday night, I thought, aha, going to use that one. He always comes up. Well, sometimes Jeff comes up with a great idea. All right, the next one we're talking about, this is one of the strangest. He's always great. One of the strangest in Scripture... Stories in Scripture is where God makes a donkey actually talk. Now, you can imagine that, a donkey talking. That's right. So you can be distracted by a donkey. And when I wrote that one down, I said, wait a minute, I haven't been distracted by a donkey. And then I thought about it, oh, maybe I have been distracted by a few donkeys in my life, if you know what I mean. But in that process, you know, because the donkey, the donkey was seeing the angel and, and Balaam didn't know it. And so Balaam just starts whipping the soup out of this donkey. And the funny thing about this story to me is this. The donkey speaks, but Balaam talks to the donkey. Huh? I mean, I get really upset sometimes. Well, I talked to my lawnmower a few times. and All right. But it hasn't talked back. All right? Not yet. Honest to goodness, I can't stand lawnmowers. Anybody with me? I will tell you this story, but don't tell my wife. Um, when we lived in Wichita Falls, I'm just pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling, pulling until I can't pull anymore, Jimmy. I mean, my arms are noodles. They're noodles anyway, but I'm noodled. And I got so frustrated at that lawnmower. I went to the back fence because that's where the dumpster was, and I just picked it up, threw it over the fence. I walked inside, and Donna says, what's going on? I said, I'm going to Walmart, going to buy me a new lawnmower. <laughs> Happens, doesn't it? Distractions. All right. Next one, King Saul. King Saul was distracted by jealousy. Jealousy gets you in big trouble. Jealousy is one of the biggest things in our lives. It's because we see what other people have or what they're doing, what we think we can do better. I got caught up in this when I first started ministry down in Wichita Falls. And for week after week after week after week, when the preacher was preaching, I was a youth minister then, I always said to myself, I can do better than that. I would say this. I would use that story. This is a scripture. I, I wouldn't have said that. I'd have done it this way. I'd have done it this way. I never paid one attention to what that guy was saying except critiquing everything that he did say because of jealousy. And when God struck me with that very hardly, I apologized to God and asked for forgiveness, and he forgave me. And I went into his office, and I asked him to forgive me, and he said, no problem. Let's pray about it. And we prayed about it. And from then on, I let go. In fact, he had some really good messages after I let go of the jealousy. Jealousy will ruin you in your career. Do what God's called you to do, and God will put you where he wants to put you. King Saul's army was distracted by the enemy, as we all know. 
Listen to me. The longer you let your enemy distract you, the bigger they become. Do you know that? The longer you let your enemy distract you, the bigger they become. It's exactly what happened if you remember the story, David and Goliath. We read about David and Goliath, but it's really about Goliath and the Israelites. And they saw a giant, too big, he's too big, we can't take him out. And David comes along and says, he's too big to miss, poop. (laughs) Big difference. Because he never saw the enemy bigger than God. When you see your enemy bigger than God, you will not trust God. Nothing is bigger than my God. Because there's nothing my God cannot do. Give me an amen. Amen. Whoo, this guy's about to preach, but hang on. Here we go. King David and Samson. I've jotted this one down real quick. King David and Samson. But we'll just look at David here real quick. He was distracted by lust. Guys, happens to ladies too. It's real easy. Real easy. Back in the day, you had to get the book. And when you lust and you look... Oh, I don't do anything. It doesn't hurt anybody. Yes, it does. Because God says, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Guilty. Distracted. David is tired one night. He can't sleep. It's maybe muggy or something. I don't know. He goes to the top of the roof. He looks over to the roofside, and he sees this beautiful naked woman taking a bath. Her name is Bathsheba. Wow, I'm the king. I can have her. Bring her to me. We know what the story was. He plotted to kill her husband and had him murdered. And from that time on, when you read about David, oh, he is a man after God's own heart. And God, I believe David's in heaven and doing all the things that we do in heaven. I believe that with all my heart. But if you look at David's life, from that moment on, his family was a mess. Don't think that your lust of another person can affect those around you. Because I promise you it will. Look at the life of David. All right, let's move to the next one. The Israelites, they were distracted by fear. This is a big one in our lives. Fear, write it down, fear freezes your faith. Something that's frozen or about frozen doesn't move as quickly as something that's not frozen. And this is the trick of the enemy. He wants to distract you by fear. The Israelites were distracted by fear over and over again. They get, to the, they get to the Red Sea there, and then the army's coming after them. They look back, and they're afraid. They look at uh, uh, um, Moses, and uh, what do they say? Oh, Moses, has been better for us. Just be back there in Egypt, make them bricks, and just, you know, at least we had a birthday party every now and then. It would have been all right if you just would have brought us out here. Now we're going to get slaughtered. Fear. Fear freezes your faith. I know most of you know the story, but I'm the preacher and I'm talking, so here goes. When I was 22 years old, I knew that God called me to preach, period. Bar none, knew it, told my wife, that's it. God wants me to preach. I know it. I don't want to do it, but I know he's called me to preach. It scared the bejeebers out of me. I walked in fear for 11 years. I sat in the nursery of the Romeo Church of Christ in Romeo, Michigan. I sat in the nursery in a rocking chair, visiting with uh, the, uh, the visiting minister at that time, was doing a revival. His name was Jerry Salvage. And I, I told him that what, what God had put on my heart. He said, that's fine. He said, this is how you discover whether or not it's a call from God, if he's called you to preach. And I said, how's that? And he said, if you can do anything else in life and find contentment, God hasn't called you. I had good jobs. I could be retired. 
I worked for Ford Motor Company. I worked for, uh, I went in the military, could have been retired there, or the, the United States Post Office could have retired there. But for 11 years, you know what I did? I ran from God. And I ran because I was afraid of what was inside of me, inadequacies. Not tall enough, not good looking enough, can't speak well enough, don't have the education. And the worst thing of all that ate me inside and out, and Donna can testify to this, is that I felt that I was going to embarrass my family. And all you husbands out there know this. The last thing you want to do is embarrass your family. So for 11 years in fear, I just said, nah, nah, nah. Fear froze my faith. But praise God, I read the book of Romans and found a thing called grace. Started thawing out the sides. And the more I read, the more I fell in love with grace. The God of grace started thawing out a little bit more. Until finally I took that leap of faith and God has blessed me with a family here that I love dearly. You talk about tenfold and thirtyfold. Look what I have. You. Wow. Just to think, Donna, you and I would have missed all of this. Best friends. Great friends. Some of you so-so. I mean, some of you... All right, we're going to press through these. Here we go. Oh, here's a good one. Oh, my goodness. I landed on this one for an hour just with myself in my study this week. Mary and Martha. Go to New Testament. Mary and Martha. This is a wonderful one because it's distracted by doing good. Got to talk about this one because this one is going to be, well, wait a minute. You can be distracted by doing good? Absolutely. Remember what I've always told you. A good work is a good work. All good works are good. But you cannot do all good works good. You can't do everything. God hasn't called you to do everything. That's why he puts us in the body. That's why he places us in the right place at the time. And remember, you're not the head. But in this, doing the good works, watch what happens here. There's three times that God allows Mary and Martha to be talked about in Scripture. Here in Luke chapter 10... Uh, was this, yeah, Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. Three times Jesus allows Mary and Martha to be mentioned in Scripture. He truly loved Mary and Martha. On this occasion, you know the story. This is the first time they met. They go, Jesus goes to their house. He's invited to go to Mary and Martha's house. No men are mentioned. It's their house. And there is Martha in the kitchen and she's cooking up. Now, where is Mary? She's supposed to be in the kitchen, especially in that culture, but not Mary. Mary's at the feet of Jesus, reclined at the table, listening to the teacher, the true Messiah, absorbing everything he has to say. Where is Martha? She's in the kitchen. She's steaming, oh man, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Where's my sister at? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Where's my sister at? So then she gets up the nerve to walk in and tell Jesus, Master, don't you care that this woman, doesn't even call her by name, doesn't even acknowledge that she's the sister, don't you care, Master, that this woman is doing this while I'm in there slaving, doing all the good things that need to be done? Can you see, Jesus? This is how I picture it. 
leaning back on his elbow and saying something like this, Martha, Martha, Martha. I smell that pecan pie you're baking in there, and boy, it smells good. Boy, I remember them days at home mom used to make those. I smell fried chicken, and I love fried chicken. But you know, Martha, if you really knew who I was, you could have brought me a chicken bone, and I could have turned it into a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. And it had been plenty left over for the rest of the week. But what Mary's doing, leave her alone. She's doing what's right. No response from Martha. She goes back to the kitchen, check the pie. The next two are over, and I got just really quickly on them. But next two are over, and Luke, no, no, flip back, flip back, flip back. There we are. So the next two are over in uh, John chapter 11 and 12, the encounters there. This time it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, their brother. He dies. He dies because Jesus didn't show up on time. Not. That's what the sisters thought. He's been dead now probably about 11 days, they say. He's been four days in the grave, but there's a mourning period that takes place for at least seven days before they put him in the grave sometimes. But nonetheless, four days in the grave we know for sure. And they tell Jesus, they both do when he comes, if you'd have just been here, he'd have been alive. Jesus says, I'm going to cry with you. I, I, I wonder about that tear. It's the only place in Scripture that says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. I've often wondered why. Was he crying because of Mary and Martha was hurting so much? Perhaps. Was he crying because Lazarus was dead? Perhaps. Or was he crying because Mary and Martha didn't have the faith? I don't know. Jesus brings him back to life. The next chapter over in, in chapter 12, it's an interesting, interesting one there. And that one there talks about um, they're having an honoring Jesus party, a gathering. Guess where they're at? Mary and Martha's house. Guess where Martha's at? In the kitchen cooking the pecan pie. I like pecan pie, by the way. I'm just letting you know. Where is Mary at this time? Mary's not, at, Mary's not just listening to Jesus anymore. Do you know what she's doing? While all the other men are there, some of the disciples were there, of course, they were all reclined at the table. Mary goes over to the, to, to the cabinet or whatever, and she pulls this big bottle of perfume, very expensive perfume, and she pours it on the master's feet and dries it with her hair. And one across the table, old Judas, looks over and says, Oh, my, my, my. We could have sold that for a lot of money, and we could have gave it to the poor. Yeah, right, Judas. You could have padded your pockets some more. And he looks at Judas and the others and simply says, The poor will always be among you. She knows who I am. And from this day forward, all throughout history, when they read about this story, they're going to know she was never distracted. But they're going to know you are distracted. You've got to be careful about distractions. Distractions. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, you know the story there. They, they had property they sold. It was a great thing, but they lied about it. 
they lied about it because of the money. When we see money, we really want more money. When we gain money, we want more. We just want more. We do. Because we think money can give us all the things that we need in life. I will tell you yesterday, we did a service for Ben Hodson. Ben didn't have anything in this life. But he's got a mansion in glory right now. Pharisees. Pharisees were distracted by the power and hypocrisy. You know what their deal was. The disciples were distracted by each other. This one's huge in our lives. They were distracted by each other. They began to argue amongst each other. And one time, in fact, one brings their mommy. It's the truth. The mommy comes in. Can my one boy sit on your right side of my one boy? Wait a minute, who are you talking in there? I was here first. I love him more. He knows he loves me more. They just began to argue with themselves. See, the distraction of others can keep you from your goal. Even those that are closest to you, don't let it happen. The crowd of people in Matthew chapter 27, they were distracted by the politicians. Politicians. Listen to me, church. Politicians can distract us from walking with the Lord. All throughout history, it's happened. They went through the crowds, they went through the crowds and they said, tell them to let Barnabas go. Tell them to crucify Jesus. Tell them to do this. Tell them to do that. Tell them to do this. Tell them to do that. And what did they do? Crucify Jesus! All because they says they were stirred up. Politicians are good about stirring up. And listen, I don't care if it's a D behind your name, an R behind your name, or an XYZ behind your name. If it distracts you from being a child of God, you need to get rid of those letters in a quick hurry. I need an amen on that. Because that's a fact. Jesus is our Lord. All right. Thomas was distracted by doubt. We know the story there. I ain't going to believe it until I see it here. Go ahead and see it. But blessed are those that haven't seen it and believe. That's us. Hallelujah. Now watch. The church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 5. I told you to get to Revelations. Here it is. Revelations chapter 3, I should say. They became what? Distracted by mediocrity. Just the same old, same old. This is good enough, isn't it? To settle for good enough being a Christian is saying God can't do more in me. You shut him down because of your belief. This is good enough. So if the attractions happen, how in the world do we take how do we overcome it? We don't. We don't? Nope, we don't. However, we can do a lot better if we continue to keep in mind what God has called us to do, the importance of God's word. I read this, I thought this was good. A pilot was having difficulty landing a small engine plane at the airport. It was really foggy outside, and so the, um, uh, the airport decided that they were going to land him by radar. Sounded good. As he received the instructions, he remembered something. The pilot did. He said, I remembered something, and inside this flight path that they gave me was this extremely large pole. 
and he became really fearful of that. Overcome with panic, he been, went called into the control tower and he told them about this large pole. What about the pole? What about the pole? Their quick response was this, you obey the instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions. God has called us to obey the instructions. He will take care of the obstructions. Give me an amen. amen. If we watch being distracted too much in our lives. Almost finished. Here we go. Romans chapter 12. Got to finish it up with some verses here for you. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't let the world's distractions be your guide any longer. Who's guiding you? Is the stock market guiding you in your... That's a distraction. Is it just about what you can do for retirement? That's a distraction. Have the retirement. Goof with the stock market. I have, and it's not paid too good for me. But nonetheless, it can be a distraction in our lives. Paul said in Philippians 13, you can read it there for yourself, 3.13, he says, I know one thing, that, and that is, I haven't arrived yet. But until I do, I'm going to forget about the past. Remember that snapshot? I'm going to forget about the past, and I'm going to press on doing what I know I should be doing. In other words, I am, going to let, I am not going to let my distractions be my overwhelming guide in life. All of us will be distracted. Don't let the distractions be your overwhelming guide. How? By Transforming our minds in the Word of God, getting to the Word of God, forgetting about the past because the past will haunt you and it will distract you from going and being what God wants you to be. Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, hallelujah, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, hallelujah, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here he is telling us to refocus. This verse you could probably need to read every day. It allows you to refocus and remember what our goal is. Heaven. Heaven. Not the distractions. And finally, Jesus himself even knew that the distractions were normal in life and gave us a remedy to help us refocus. Look at this verse right here and then I'll shut up. Here we go. Mark chapter 6. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. You ever get distracted that you were not even able to eat? You just forgot lunch. You just got distracted. Some of you, I don't know. But anyway, so some of us, yes. But you, they became distracted. Notice what it says. because There's something really key in this verse. They didn't even have a chance to eat. They were distracted by doing good. So they're hungry. Watch what Jesus says. He says, come with me by yourselves to get something to eat. That's what he says. He does say that. He says, come with me by yourselves to get to a quiet place and get some rest. Where do you find rest? In the arms of Jesus, the bread of life. That's not a misprint. He didn't say, come on, guys, let's go to a burger. He said, no, come with me to a quiet place, which is, we're thinking that meditation time, that meditation time and or prayer time, and get some rest. You want some rest? 
Get to Jesus. Don't be distracted by the world's point of view. Get to Jesus. He'll give you all the food that you need to sustain you to get through. And sometimes that, for some of you, the, the work that you do, some, some of you teachers that have to put up with so much and other people that have to just deal with stress every day, sometimes you have to go to that little closet, maybe to the restroom, whatever, and you've got to do this multiple times a day. And get away to a quiet place and get some rest. God offers that every day. He offers it right now. Does anybody need that today? If you need it today, we stand ready to help you, my friend. God stands ready. God is not distracted by anything going on in your life. And he's asking you to get your focus back on him. If you have a prayer request or concern, whatever it is, that's what we are ready to do right now as we sing this song just for you. If you haven't received Jesus Christ, don't be distracted by the world. You can do it later. I can do it later. I can do it later. No, 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 no. Today is the day of salvation. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be buried with Him in baptism so that you can be clothed with Christ so you can walk this journey together to heaven with us. Whatever your need is, you come as together we stand and sing.